Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Monta Stories. Uh, today, I'm continuing our series called Unmatched, where we are learning about um, what makes our various levels here at Hudson Montessori School uh, unique and impactful. Uh, in our last episode, we caught up with Mary Blatnick and Rachel Loomis and talked about kindergarten. And today we are talking to um, our director of teaching and learning, Abby Wexler, who, um, uh, who prior to her role as director of teaching and learning, taught for many years in the lower elementary or what we call lower elementary first through third grade um, program here at Hudson Montessori School. So um, it's an interesting conversation and one that I think will make um, clear what makes our lower elementary program unmatched. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Monta Stories. Uh, my name is Matt Virgil. I'm the head of school at Hudson Montessori School. Um, today, I'm joined by Abby Wexler, who is our Director of Teaching and Learning. Um, Abby, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, could I start off briefly by say, saying, have you talk about what is your role as Director of Teaching and Learning? And then we're going to shift to our main topic, which is lower elementary. Sure. My role as Director of Teaching and Learning is working with staff members as well as parents and students here at Hudson Montessori. With the staff members, I'm looking at curriculum and ensuring that at each level, the curriculum is the same, as well as our transitions between different levels. So making sure that students are prepared for what's to come next. And with parents? With parents, I'm often educating them on what is Montessori and what's happening at each level of our school with their children, what the curriculum is, and what's happening in the classroom. So that's why Abby is actually a perfect person for this, um, for this podcast, because it is part of our series called Unmatched. It's a series that I'm doing with several people here at HMS to talk about why our different levels are unique and powerfully um, impactful for children. And today we are going to be talking about lower elementary. Lower elementary here at Hudson Montessori School are grades one, two, and three. And so Abby, in a, or be prior to being director of teaching and learning, you were a lower elementary teacher. Is that right? That's right. I taught for 14 years in the lower elementary class here at Hudson Montessori. Okay. And one of the things I... Um, I often uh, see Abby make presentations, whether it is to new employees in August, where she's just giving them a framework or like what makes our school unique, or sometimes we have a lot of um, colleges of education uh, come in and they send their teachers and training, and Abby will introduce the idea of Montessori. And she will often talk about that every classroom at HMS is specifically and specially designed for the developmental realities of where a child is. And that sound, sounds sort of um, abstract and kind of um, uh, highbrow, but to me, it's like a really critical distinction about what makes our school unique versus other schools is we know that all children are going through a developmental growth sort of, uh, they're on a developmental growth pattern, and we want to think about what are those aspects of their growth and make the classroom reflect it because we can marry that and then um, they they develop successfully and and um, and and grow. Um, so Abby, can I start with when we talk about six through nine year olds? So a child coming out of kindergarten, 
into first, second, and third grade, what are some of those developmental milestones or changes that we see in, in a child that age? Sure. So one of the biggest uh, characteristics of children entering elementary years, starting in first grade, is the development of their imagination. So we know that children at this age are able to take concrete experiences and begin to think in more abstract terms. So they're able to come up with ideas that they have not previously had before. Uh, this coupled with their reasoning mind really sets the tone for where students are headed in the elementary years, this ability to abstract information. Additionally, we know that students are becoming much more developed in their moral development. So they're beginning to ask questions about what's fair and about injustices that they see. Oftentimes, students in the lower elementary approach their teacher and say, you know, what those two children are doing isn't fair. And it's not that they are trying to get someone else in trouble as much as they really just need affirmation that what they see is an injustice, it's not right, and that they do know better. So these characteristics of the elementary children are what sets the tone for the education that they're receiving then in the classroom. Okay, so all um, our lead teachers are specially trained in teaching Montessori to children this age, so that they have received a lot of education on these, these developmental uh, milestones that you just highlighted. Okay, so can you begin to talk about how we see that implemented in the classroom. So um, like, so for example, last week we had Look Who's Teaching where we had, it was an amazing event because um, the children are able to um, demonstrate to, uh, uh, well, their parents, but also any other adult th uh, lessons that they have learned. And, and um, you and I were both there and we saw a lot of children um, uh, presenting various lessons from various disciplines um, I saw one in particular that was interesting. It was two third level students that were, they had a timeline out and it took, uh, it, it showed the, the, it showed the evolution of, of animals, uh, essentially over, over thousands, probably more than that, probably tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years to kind of take us to where we are right now. And they were a encyclopedic in their knowledge and b super excited about it. So is that is that a is that part of this process of taking those developmental realities and putting them in the process in the classroom? Yes. So what you saw was the timeline of life, and it I, we can't talk about elementary education without talking about cosmic education. That's what Maria Montessori called the educational philosophy that we use the element during the elementary years. So when we say cosmic, what, we, what we're referring to is the universe, the world that we live in today. And cosmic education begins with stories. So again, when we go back to the developmental characteristics of these children, they're using their imagination and their reasoning. And so these stories draw upon that imagination. The lessons begin with a story talking about the universe and the earth and its origins. So children have to be able to use their imagination to think about what, what 
the universe must have been like before the earth was here and how cold it must have been. So these are all science-based stories um, that move on and talk about the appearance of life on earth, the appearance of humans on, on the earth, as well as the development of writing and numbers. So these stories engage the children in such a way as they begin to ask questions. They begin to ask questions about the content that they are, that they've been told with these stories and seeds are planted so that the students that can then begin to ask more questions. So what you saw at Look Who's Teaching Now was one of the timelines that we use. So a concrete piece of material, but that really allows the children uh, a jumping off point so that they can begin to answer questions for themselves and do research for themselves. Can I, can I interject? So Please. like, I, so I being an educator, like I was impressed by what knowledge they had. And, but at some level it was almost, it, I don't want, I, I want to use the word carefully because I'm not downplaying it, but it was almost trivial in the sense like, okay, they knew these, I can't even come up with the terms they knew that, you know, they would know these sure. animals that lived a thousand or 10,000 years ago. And in some ways, like, I was sort of thinking to myself, okay, is it important that they actually know that particular animal? It was cool and it was impressive. And they were, and, and this is an aside, they were comfortable speaking in front of adults and taking questions, which is a whole different part of why our lower elementary is amazing. But like, is it important that they know this particular information? Right. So the answer is twofold. It is important in that it's interesting to them ah. and that they are so engaged in the learning process because they have helped determine what, what they want to be researching. So yes, the children know the names of different animals that lived throughout the eons of time, as well as um, how maybe some of those animals were co-developing with plants mm. and life uh, in the water versus life uh, emerging on land. All of those are pieces that the children can talk to you about, as well as um, times where animals went extinct and when trilobites mm -hmm. stopped existing on the earth. They can talk to you about ice ages. But ultimately, that information is not the purpose of those lessons. That information is almost incidental to the understanding of the time that the earth has been here hmm. and their place on the earth today. So the ultimate goal of cosmic education is that children understand what they, where they are in time now and what their responsibilities might be. Really, they're answering the question, who am I? So it's what can we learn from the past? And I mean, that's why we're talking about stories, the history of, of writing or the history of mm. mathematics. Um, and it's really to understand what has happened in the past, what human beings throughout time, what all animals throughout time might have need, in particular, what human beings mm -hmm. might have needed throughout time. And what are ways that we can continue to care for the earth, continue to care for each other and find satisfaction for ourselves? Uh, okay. So my mind wants to go in two different directions. So I have to pick one. Um, one is I just want to make the observation 
that that is, so starting with that question of like, who am I? In my mind drives back to those developmental realities. Like the, that involves imagination because they obviously weren't here 500,000, 500 million years ago or however many years it was. They have to be able to kind of put themselves in that place, take those stories, put them in it. That develop, that has to be imagination. And it, that is a very much a reasoning mind when you talked about how um, uh, the, they were animals and plants might have been, I can't remember the term you used, but it was co-evolving. co-evolving. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was like totally, that's, that's one aspect. I don't, uh, the other aspect that I was going to take is, um, to have that as a jumping off point, like that's how we, that's how we're planning here. That's the environment that we're trying to create. That to me feels very different from a traditional classroom where I think of, uh, uh, in abstract, we have, you know, reading class and we have math class and we have science class and they're sort of, you, they are standalone subjects mm -hmm. here. It seems like it is truly interdisciplinary. Is that, is that fair? That's absolutely true. Um, all of our, we consider all of our subjects to be interdisciplinary subjects. So while I was saying that those are stories, they're also stories about science mm. Um, we have stories about history, and I mean, if we talk about um, the history of um, language, so then we're bringing in uh, language aspects and how the how the alphabet um, developed over time, and students are exploring things like cuneiform mm. or hieroglyphics or um, or ancient Greek and Roman, as well as then talking about Latin roots or Greek roots of words. There's so many different directions that we can take things in the classroom, and the students do take things in all of those different directions. But it doesn't, it's, we're not teaching one subject in isolation. Everything truly is related. And it does, I mean, so I started this conversation out by saying, like, this kind of feels like uh, esoteric or sort of kind of philosophical. But when you say you're trying to help them understand, like, this world has been there for millions of years. And then, in fact, I've seen a lesson where it shows how long humans have been here visually. And it's like a it's a it's a strip of felt. And that probably goes from, I don't know, it's probably six, 30 yards long. I don't know, uh, maybe about it's 100 meters. Okay, thank you. Okay, that's better. <laughs> yeah. And and like it shows like that was when Earth started. And humans are like a sliver on the very end. Yeah. And that is like, to, for us to be able to try to demonstrate that to, to children, that has to have some impact on them that they probably sit back and they're like, wow. Now that, they may not come to that full realization until they are an adult, like how, what, that, what that means, but we're planting that seed of like, they are part of this sort of process or this, um, you know, th th this history of, of the, of the world, and they are going to play some role in it. That's right. Maria Montessori felt so strongly about creating an environment where children felt a sense of awe and wonder for what came before them, and a and huge appreciation for the players that came before them, whether that is something from a scientific point of view, mm. and the laws of the universe, and uh, the laws of matter, or whether that's the people that came before them. And we could be talking about people generations ago and in different parts of the world, 
but an understanding that those people have the same basic fundamental needs that we have today. So there's a lot of work that happens from that you know, social studies, history perspective in the classroom also. But what we haven't talked about is how that opens up uh, skills like reading and writing yeah. in the classroom, which truly are embedded in every one of these areas. So if you're reading about people in ancient Greece um, and and practicing putting together a paragraph, you're using the skills that that students would be using in other educational environments, but students are using those skills to an end that they are so motivated and mm. interested to learn that they usually take it to a whole nother level, whether that's doing multiple paragraphs. Many of our children are writing five paragraph essays by the time that they're leaving third grade, or whether it's creating intricate dioramas or posters or books about whatever thing they're they're learning about and are interested in. What about, so th this is a good topic because we've had, a, maybe this is a fascinating topic for you and me because we are both educators, but <laughs> so like I often talk to parents and they would say, okay, yeah, sounds good, Matt, right? But yeah, A, we live in, we live in a community, fantastic schools and, you know, they're rated high in the state and, you know, they knock the, the, they knock the um, ball out of the park in the state tests or something. So how do we make sure that we are academically challenging, academically preparing our students as, as well as we can? Sure. So we do a lot of observe, observing the children and we were constantly watching and, and following their lead in terms of their interests and I assure you that we are keeping up with the state standards and our children in many instances exceed what the expectations would be. So our teachers are aware of what students would be doing in a different educational environment, mm -hmm. but are making sure that those things are then embedded in the work that they're doing. Um, you know, in math in particular, that's one of my favorite areas to talk about because the materials that the students are using in the classroom are so concrete. And again, understanding where children are developmentally, that they need some concrete work as they move into abstraction at this elementary level. And as you move through the years in the elementary classroom, uh, you the materials do tend to fall away and students are using just paper and pencil to do the work that they're doing. But if you look at the state standards in first, second grade, they're asking that children are working with simple numbers. I think first grade students are working with numbers up to 20 to add and subtract. And even in second grade, the state standards are suggesting that they should be working with numbers into the hundreds or maybe the thousands. Our students enter our classroom uh, understanding what units, tens, hundreds, and thousands are, and they are adding and subtracting. They've often had exposure to multiplication and division by the time that they're hitting first grade. Uh, in first grade at our school, they're being introduced to numbers into the millions. And this is all very purposeful. Again, knowing that children at this age, mm -hmm. at this developmental stage in life are so interested in uh, what's the biggest? What's the most? Anything and then, Guinness Book of yeah, yeah. World Records. Exactly. Yeah, the Guinness it. Book of World Records is a favorite in yeah. first, second, and third yeah. grade. Perfect gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so e their work reflects this. They want to create 
huge posters, huge dioramas. In math, they want to create huge problems. So who are we to stop them? Mm. So as a result, students do uh, work that that involves numbers that go into the, the millions place values. I've seen students become so excited about the idea of division problems, long division problems in lower elementary, that they'll tape pieces of paper together to extend the, the problem that they're doing so that they are rehearsing over and over how to do long division, but they're doing it in a way that they're really moved to do it themselves. I've heard Ms. Blatnick say, like, if I told a child, like, take those papers and put them together and you have to yeah. do this, so it's like, it's not going to work. <laughs> but no it's way. a child coming up with that idea. And That's we just right. kind of back out of their way and we create this environment where they feel um, they feel known, they feel respected, they trust their teacher. That's an element of our classroom that I would want to um, echo from children's house. Like, what sure. can you talk a little bit about, you know, we the students are in there for three years. What role does the trust and the respect that teachers and children have for each other play in this environment? Sure. The three-year uh, cycle, as we call it. So children are with the same adults for three years, and there is this sense of trust that's built. And as a result, the, the children feel comfortable asking the adults in the classroom, you know, hey, I have this idea. Can you either help me get started with it or find... Uh, the materials that I need for this really amazing project. And it's because the teachers truly trust and respect the children in turn that they are willing to follow where they're going and see where it leads and takes them. That's what allows children to grow and develop to such an extent. It's because they trust the adults that they're working with and the adults trust them back. Uh, and as a result, they end up loving learning. I have one other sort of nuts and bolts question, and then and then you need to wrap up. Um, we talk about like soft skills. We talk about um, things like time management, public speaking, mm-hmm. um, taking responsibility. Um, can you talk a little bit about those in lower elementary? Sure. So, so I think especially in terms of managing one's time, this is the perfect opportunity for children to begin to learn the skill. And it's a skill that they can begin to master even as young as first grade. Many adults don't learn to master this until they're maybe in college and have to organize their classes and their time. Children often use a work plan in the lower elementary classroom, and this helps them plan their day and figure out what they need to do, as well as plan um, how much time they want to spend on each of those. Teachers often check in with students possibly multiple times a week as they begin in the elementary years, but often by the end, maybe once a week, just to make sure that they're still on track with the work that they need to be doing. Students in the Montessori classroom are often presenting and preparing presentations Mm -hmm. to share with each other, with their classroom, when they're very excited with other classrooms. Sometimes we'll have students come down here to the office these kinds of soft skills, being confident in what they have to say and being able to share what they've learned with others, we consider just, just a feather in our cap with the students here at Hudson Montessori. I was going to um, mention that if you ever want to see this in action, you can contact Abby. Um, you can email her. You can stop by the office and she'd be happy to walk into the classroom and, and show you this in action. And, and it's kind of nice because 
you'll observe it and she'll be narrating it a little bit so you can kind of see the thought process that goes on behind this. Um, we, um, so Miss Michelle and I often talk to families who have element, if they come and look at our school in elementary and there's a consistent theme and that is, is that um, they'll be at a, another school, traditional school, and they will say, the light has gone out in my child's zest for living or learning. Like they used to love school and now they are bored. Their favorite class is recess or they can't wait till the bus takes them home because then they can get home and do something that they see as meaningful. Um, I, I, I want to give you a moment to just speak to that. Like from your observations of our mm -hmm. students here, um, does that square with what you see in our students? Absolutely not. If anything, it's the opposite. I would say that as children get older and they realize what there is out there for them to learn, they become even more enthused and more excited about, about what opportunities there are for them. And that's because the students are helping drive their own learning. And what they're doing here is meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's meaningful to them. Uh, it's meaningful to their classmates. And as a result, they're driven to, to continue to learn and be excited about it. I want to close. Uh, Abby, thank you for joining us. Sure. My um, pleasure. Yeah, uh, we'll have to have you back for subsequent episodes. Uh, she's rolling her eyes because she she wasn't excited to do this podcast, but she's done a great job. Um, so I was gonna say um, that uh, um, the 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 amazing thing about um, this conversation is that question of who am I, and that is so fundamental for what we are trying to do here. And I believe it's absent at other educational um, opportunities uh, that really makes us truly unmatched. Um, uh, I also want to pick up on that idea of uh, excitement and zest for learning and say that our next uh, podcast in this series, Unmatched, will be focused on upper elementary, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And we will pick up on this idea of challenging students um, helping them find their place and what they're going to become, helping them understand their place in this world and um, really keen in on that love of learning. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Montessori's and um, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Montessori's. Uh, if you have any feedback about our podcast or ideas of topics that you'd like us to address, uh, you can always drop me an email. My name is Matt Virgil, and my email is mvirgil, V-I-R-G-I-L, at hudsonmontestory.org. I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can always be alerted when we release one. Uh, there's uh, three ways you can do that. You can subscribe on Apple iTunes, uh, through Spotify, or on Google Play. If you just search Hudson Montestories. It should bring it up and you can subscribe. And of course, if you write us a review, we'd certainly appreciate it. Um, that's one way that uh, we can uh, grow the podcast. So thanks again for tuning in as always. And um, we'll talk to you next time.